Okay, I'm actually for you. I appreciate you a lot. Um, and yes, I'm still with you. Okay, I'm going to be talking about evangelism and the heart of evangelism and the heart of an evangelist. Because uh, this month we're talking about the fact that church is not confined by the four walls of this building. I've said this a lot. Real church starts tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock, when you get to class, when you get to work. That's where church starts. This is just practice, okay? So what you did now, we worship. The idea is to take that worship outside. Show people how to worship. The idea is to take people, take these dreams that you've shared, the dreams on your heart outside of this building. And, and here this place is, what we do on a Sunday is... is to cultivate those dreams, to practice, mess up, so that we can get it right outside of this building. Amen? And, and that's the heart of it. And, and today I want to I share a story of how I got saved, um, but more specifically the person that was there that got me saved. Because for me, um, he was... He's the model of an evangelist. I, I look at a lot of, you know, international evangelists. You get Reinhard Bunker and Angus Bachan. But the, the, my friend who, who got me to church, he's the guy. I think evangelist, I think of him. Just because, very simply, I, I, I know him. And, that, and that's sort of the point that I'm getting at. So I want to read some scripture first. And the reason why I, I've, I've entitled this, the sermon, the narrow road, is because evangelism is essentially, it's, it's walking a very narrow road. So we, we know that the scripture tells us that, that being a Christian is like walking on a narrow road. So there's, there's a scripture in um, Matthew 7, verse 13 to 14, and um, just paraphrasing, just write it down. You guys can read it in the, in the morning in your quiet times. But it talks of a, a wide gate and a narrow gate, a wide road and a narrow road. So the wide gate, the wide road, that is the path to destruction, and a narrow road, and the narrow gate, that is, that is the path to life. And um, when, I, when I was reading this, I was thinking, but it's, it's not just in terms of life and death. It's also very much the, the, this, this concept plays a part in our everyday life. And when we put it in the context of evangelism, it is, it is very true as well because we're walking a narrow road between lawlessness and religion, false religion. And to be an evangelist, you've got to walk this very narrow road. You stray once far to one side and you're compromising on your beliefs. And you stray onto the other side and before you know it, you cannot relate to anybody because you're uber-spiritual and nobody understands what you're talking about. You understand what I'm saying? So if, if uh, you nodded and said you do understand, then you're welcome to leave. And then the rest of you, I'll explain as we go on. Joking. Okay, let's open up our Bibles. We're going to read the story of the, the prodigal son. And we all know this. And... Um, in our small group, in the student small group, we have been doing a um, small group series called The Prodigal God by 
Timothy Keller. I recommend that you get it. One of the best commentary I've ever heard on the story of the prodigal son. But um, let's first read it, then we'll, then we'll talk about it. So that's Luke 15. It's the best book in the Bible. Oh, gosh. Okay. Does everybody have a Bible? Is there somebody here that doesn't have a Bible? Okay. Put up your hand if you need a Bible. Over there. So the deal is that if you don't have a Bible at home, you can keep it. Otherwise, please return it so we can give it to somebody that does need it. Okay, great. Everybody got? Awesome. You all want Luke 15? Okay. Luke 15 from verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So let's just stop there quickly. So just to, just to give a little bit of context, remember the, the Israelites in that time, they, they, they didn't do pigs. There's no pork. There's, okay, the safest place to be as a pig is to live in Israel because they're not going to eat you. Okay, pigs are, are unclean. They're dirty animals. So just understand when Jesus is saying this guy went to go feed the pigs, an Israelite going having to feed these unclean animals, you've, you've hit a low. Okay, you, you got this, okay. Um, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So for a lot of us, we can relate to this first son. Yeah, we understand um, if, if, you, if you have been in church for any time, if you have experienced God in any way, the, the, the first son, you relate to him. You understand that I was living in sin, I encountered Jesus, I encountered his grace and his forgiveness, I went, I went to him with all these excuses, and instead I was met with the mercy and the love of God. Um, and he gave me a right to be called a son or a daughter of God, right? We, we understand this. We know this, okay? And, um, but the story doesn't end here. The story is not just about one son. The story is about a second son. So let's read the second part from verse 25. 
Now the, his older son was in a field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Isn't that amazing? So we have these two brothers. And for a lot of us, we relate to the younger brother. It's the classic story of the sinner coming to Christ. Okay, but this story is not about one brother. It's about two brothers. And as, as, as Timothy Keller was pointing out in his book, um, The Prodigal God, he said, both brothers wanted the things of God, but they didn't want God himself. One wanted the things of God by being very, very bad, and the other wanted the things of God by being very, very good. But they didn't want God. They didn't want the Father. They wanted the things of the Father. He says, um, he says here in verse 29, but he answered, look, these many years I've served you. Listen to this. I've done all the work. I was in church. I packed out all the chairs. I set out the coffee. I was at the. Ho- I prayed at the hospitals. I went to small group every Wednesday. I went to Sunday church. I've, I've done all these things. I never disobeyed your commandments. I did everything right. Yet you never gave me a young goat. What did he want? He wanted the stuff. He did all that those things because he wanted the stuff. Right that I might celebrate with my friends. But the son of yours came and has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And the, the, the biggest injustice of this whole story is that the younger brother left with his inheritance and spent it. So what is the father using to celebrate the younger brother coming back? It's the older brother's inheritance. <laughs> You're using my stuff. And the father's reply is amazing. He says, everything that I have is yours. You've, you've, you want the stuff, you've got it. I'll, I'll give it to you. It's, it's, it's yours. You want the double portion, it's yours. I'll give it to you. But the, and the heart of the father is this. In the last verse, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. It's appropriate to celebrate. It is appropriate. It's the right thing to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Isn't that amazing? And these two brothers, there's there's so many things that we can go into, but we're talking in the context of evangelism. And for this purpose, the two brothers represent the two sides of this very narrow road. The first brother, the classic 
sinner coming to Jesus, he represents a sense of lawlessness where the things of the world are okay. And as Christians, um, you hear this a lot. Um, you know, homosexuality being a sin, that's a very old way of thinking. You know, you, you have to get with the times. No, the Bible is very clear. Okay? You don't need to compromise. You don't need to, you don't need to sell out the Bible. Now, you know, coming to church every Sunday, that's a very old way. You know, I, like, I, I do church in my house and, we, and I talk to God. Okay, that's, that's great. But the scripture also tells us not to, not to neglect the gathering of the saints, right? So there's an understanding that our lives have to be governed and anchored by the Bible. It has to be. Okay, and there's, and there's questions. If this is something that you struggle with, there's, there's questions that we have to ask, okay? Because the way that you see yourself in the story has a lot to do with the way you see people that you're trying to reach. How you view yourself in this story. So, I've, I've met a lot of people, and, um, and usually, you know, somebody will come to me and say, is it okay is it really that wrong if I sleep with my girlfriend before I get married? And what they're asking me is, they're not asking, you know, is it, is it wrong or right? They're asking me, basically asking me to give them permission to sleep with their girlfriend before they get married. Okay? Because the Bible, you know, it doesn't really say, is it, is it okay to smoke weed? Because, you know, the Bible doesn't really get, you know, you know. Usually people are asking me, when people come with these questions, they're not asking sincere theological questions. They're asking, can I get away with this, Luke, and still have a clean conscience? The first question I ask is, are you discipling people? What does that have to do with anything? That has, that, it's everything. Okay? Are you... Are you asking me this question so that you can better disciple someone, so that you can be a better evangelist, so that you can better reach people, that you can better reach the lost? Well, I don't, I don't really think about that. No, that's, that's exactly the problem. You want the stuff. You don't want to pay. You don't want the heart of God. Okay, it's not about what is wrong. It's what is the right thing to do. What is Romans 14, at the end of Romans 14, it says everything done without faith is sin. That, puts, that changes the game. That means that it's not on my own, it's not for me to convince you that something is wrong. You need to convince me that this is the right thing to do. That this will bring about the kingdom of God. That this will get the lost saved. You know what I'm saying? Talk to me, share with me scripture about how sleeping with your girlfriend before you get married is going to get the lost saved. I, I'm, I, I'd love to. Show me somewhere where the Bible says smoking weed is going to get people in church. You, you show me that, we can have a conversation. Until then, 
You want the stuff of God. You don't want the heart of God. You want to get away with things and have a clear conscience. I can't help you with that. Okay, I can't do that for you. But the, the most important question is, you've got to ask yourself is, do you believe that people are better with Jesus? You see people living a good life, a clean life, a happy life, and you're looking at them, do you believe that they need Jesus? It's easy to see, to look at the drug addict, or the sick, or the poor, and oh, wow, they need Jesus. Um, sure, that guy's so poor, he needs Jesus. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm such a good Christian, because I can see who needs Jesus. But, but let's look at, I mean, let's look at Bill Gates, billionaire, philanthropist. Wow, I actually said that without tying my tongue. Philanthropist. Does, do you think that he needs Jesus? You know, basically, you can basically buy South Africa right now. Does he need Jesus? I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go too much on that question. That's something that you need to answer in your own heart. Because if you understand the heart of God, you understand that, yes, you may be living in your mansion, but let me tell you, your mansion is nothing without, with, without Jesus. I know Jesus so well. He is the source of my life. He's the reason I get up in the morning. He is the joy. He is the strength. I cannot live without him. I guarantee you that yes, you look like you've got a perfect life, but I can tell you it's going to be a hundred times better if you get to know Jesus. Right? I'm, I'm challenging you, especially if you're reading the Bible and there's stuff that just doesn't make sense. Okay? Challenge God on it. Is it challenging for you to read that homosexuality is a sin? God is not insecure about what he put in the Bible. Challenge him. Ask him. The amazing thing about God's word, it doesn't say, you know, stop seeking, otherwise you're going to find some weird stuff. It says, seek and you will find. If you're looking for an answer, seek. God guarantees you, you're going to find. But bow down your pride. Get real with yourself. Okay, am I compromising because I don't want to be in the place where maybe I have to share my faith with somebody? Am I compromising because I don't want to give up everything? Like I like Jesus, but I also like sleeping with my girlfriend. So, you know, I don't know. Okay, I'm going to leave that there. The second brother, he, he represents, in my mind, a far larger threat in the church, simply because... Sin, sin is sin, and sin is very obvious. Um, it's the second brother that kind of catches us up. He's like, you know, when you've been in church for a very long time, and I've fallen into this trap before. We're doing when we're doing this um, this uh, series in small group, and I was just sharing with the guys that I've fallen into this trap as well. Where I'm like the second brother, and I'm doing all the right stuff, coming to church pack out the chairs, fighting with my boss. Um, 
that's that's not a right thing to do. That was I was just checking if you were awake. Um, you know, and and we, and I'm thinking I'm so I'm so good. I'm so holy. You know, God, don't you owe me a wife round about now? Put in the work. It's not good for man to be alone. <laughs> you know. And like you, you do all these things and, and you get into a place where you think God owes you something. You know? And the worst part is is that you start judging people on those same standards. You know, it's it's like it's it's like if they if somebody else hasn't reached level three in their spirituality, you start looking down at them, you know. This person, oh shucks, they have not done encounter three. One day when they reach my level, um, wow, but bless them, uh, you know, it's, it's the same, the same question is asked, do I have the heart of God? Am I worried about winning arguments? Or am I worried about the fact that my brother is lost and now he is found? And isn't that amazing? Do you, do you want a perfect business as a church or do you want a messy hospital? Do you want everything to look right? Do you want perfect people? Or are you expecting... I mean, I mean, everybody's, you, you have like a rational talk with them. You're like, like, what do you think church should be? Oh, I, want, I want the prostitutes and the drug addicts and, and all those people. They must come into church. Um, but we must have order in church. We don't, have, we don't want mess. Church must be order. No disorder. But we want the messy people to come in. They must just be ordered when they come in. You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's like a friend of mine said, you know, logically we've been through things and logically we should have sympathy for other people that have gone through those same things. But it, it's completely counterintuitive. Usually what happens is when we go through certain things, we go through you know, not having a lot of money, we go through, you know, um, struggling with pornography, go through a state where we, you know, struggled with drugs or whatever, very often you find it, people feel that it gives them the right to judge people who have gone through those same things. And yet Jesus comes with compassion. He, he's, the Bible says that he was tempted in every way. And yet he did not come to condemn the world, but he came so that through him the world might have, be saved. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? The things that you have gone through, the victories that you have won, they don't give you the right to judge other people. So we're talking about this narrow road. We're talking about this narrow road of evangelism. Okay, and when I come and I meet somebody for the first time and I meet Riku, okay, my heart for him is first off, cannot compromise who I am but at the same time I know that I can love him 
and not compromise who I am. Because this is this is this is this is the this is the funny thing. People think that in order to love somebody, I have to compromise. Put a compromise on it. So now let's get back to this friend of mine who got me into church. His name is Ian, and um, me and him are like brothers, um, which means that we've fought a lot. Um, but I, I know him because my my brother married his sister. When I first met him, I think it was like in 2006, the year before my brother and his sister got married, I, I really didn't like him. I thought he was one of those stuck-up surfer guys, and he was a, he thought I was one of those, you know, too cool for school, muso kind of dudes. And anyway, so I finished school in 2007, and I started studying, and lo and behold, he's in the same class as me. Okay, and when I got to varsity, I went the, you know, the stoner route, and I started smoking a lot of weed, and he went the church route, so then we had even less reason to to talk to each other, or at least, let me say, I had less reason to talk to him. Um, and the amazing thing about him is that for some or odd reason, he wanted to be my friend, and it was really annoying to me, actually. Um, but he he would the amazing thing is that he would come and he'd hang out with me be it in town um, in my flat having coffee in town where I'm getting drunk and I never once saw him drink I never once saw him take a cigarette I never once heard him swear and he had a reputation of being goody goody but I can tell you he had the respect of everybody around there. Why is that? Because he loved everybody unconditionally. It wasn't because he was hanging out with the boys and drinking with the boys. Now, he was very, very strict on the fact that he did not drink. Very strict on the fact that he did not smoke. Very strict on the fact that he went to church and he let the guys you know, make fun of him. But at the end of the day, he had everybody's respect. He was uncompromising, but completely loving, because his heart was to see me saved. That was it. So one day, I'm, I'm walking to class, and I'm having the worst day. I'm, I'm, I'm at a place where I'm, I'm thinking of committing suicide. I just had a massive panic attack while smoking weed. I don't know what's going on in my life. My whole world's falling apart. I'm failing subjects, and I'm and he asked me, hey man, how's it going? And I start sharing my heart with him. He's like, hey Luke, why don't you come to church with me? And he waited two and a half years to ask me to come to church with him. But he knew that the time was right and he had put in the work to get to know me as a person, to be my friend. Completely uncompromising, completely loving. But his heart was to see me saved. I went to church that very Sunday and I gave my heart to Jesus. And he's one of my best friends today. And it's not because it's not because I did anything right. It's not because he did anything right. It's not because he was, you know, this perfect Christian. It's because he could meet with you face to face, have the respect of everyone there as being a completely uncompromising person. People knew that he was a Jesus nut. He would talk about it. You ask him, he's going to tell you who Jesus is. 
he had the respect of people because he left them. Isn't that amazing? That's what I want. That's the, I want to be like him. And when we're talking to people outside of the church or in the church, we've got to understand my heart for Riku is not that he does encounter one, two, three, and four. And don't get me wrong, those things are amazing. They will change your life. But my heart is first and foremost that he comes home and sits down at the table and has a feast with God. He gets to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. That's my heart for each and every one of you. I believe Bible school will equip you. I believe encounter will change your lives. I believe this church will change your life. But my but before we get there, I want you to come sit down at the table and have a feast with God. There is work to be done. Yes. But not before we go and get to know Jesus at the dinner table. Isn't that amazing? And it's this it's this idea of the table that um, Timothy Keller was talking about in the, in, the, in the Prodigal God book. It's this idea of the table that we come together, we sit together, we eat together. That, that is where the heart of God lies. It's not in a church building. I love this church. It's not... It's not in a great worship album. It's around the dinner table. Let's stand.